Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Welcome to the show. Today I'm excited to have Kate Suma on the show. Kate is the head of growth design at Miro. She's a highly accomplished designer who has made a significant contributions to the field. She's a passionate advocate for design leadership and is a role model for aspiring growth leaders. She started her career as an individual contributor where she embodied the user experience through craft and onboarding engagement monetization and zero to one experiences. I'm super excited to get into some of this today. And then she went into lead the growth design team at Miro, where she crafted the design vision and the first version of the Miroverse. I'm yeah. honored to have you on the show today. I'm so excited. So welcome to the show. Oh, hi, Kevin. Hi, everyone. Hi. I'm so flattered after this introduction. <laughs> you see, like, I cannot, I cannot hide it. I'm like getting red. <laughs> Well, we are honored to have you, Kate. You know, we, we chatted a little bit. I think we met via the Reforge channels and some of the new growth programs. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun. And then you started your own podcast, Growth Mates, with yeah. a colleague of yours. Yeah, yeah, with Oscar. Yeah. Hi, Oscar. So I, I'm sure I butchered some of the introduction. Is there anything else like an elevator pitch you'd like to give the listeners to orient themselves to Kate? Yeah, I think that was right to the point. I think maybe something to add. I've been in design field for a while, I think for at least seven years from now. And I've started my journey as a product designer, as individual contributor, and I'm still pretty close to this hands-on craft and things like that. But over the last six years at Mira, I've tried many things, user research, growth, product design, and things like that. And now I'm also curious about sharing the knowledge and trying to do that through the Growth Mates podcast and some mentorship and advising. And it really fascinates me because it creates like so much diverse experience that I think all of us should look for even being like dedicated to one company. I think it's very beneficial to have a broad outlook and there are many tools to do that. Yeah. Excited to be here. Thanks again, Kate. Yeah, I love having the world has kind of become smaller and bigger at the same time. There's so many of these like, I I don't know if growth growth has been around for a long time in different ways, but I feel like it's a fairly newer profession, right? Mm. Or as like a niche, right? Or like a specific Mm. highlight. I'm curious to see all the avenues that you have to share, all the new learnings that are coming out about how to do growth. And I'm glad that we get to tap into your brain today and ask you a whole bunch of questions about it. So this is amazing. So what we had top of mind today, we had a whole bunch of things, but career growth, user onboarding communities. Let's start with career growth because this one is definitely top of mind for me as well. When we chatted about, it was a little bit about like how to make it happen when the stakes are high. How do you invest in your employees? How do you kind of keep them engaged and growing in, in a market like this? I'm curious, how are you doing this today? Absolutely. That's a really good question. And I think I can answer to that over time. 
And it's, to be honest, like career growth is like a personal, very personal story for every individual. And I believe everybody should own their career growth and not to, to wait it from external only like, you know, stimulation and triggers, like how companies support in my career growth how my manager is supporting my career growth. Of course, we are all responsible for that, but the only person who is responsible for that is you in the end. And you should design your career like as a product, as an experiment. So I really like the connection with experiments because we are doing that a lot in growth team. And any career decision is an experiment. First to test, to validate. Either you decide to go on a managerial path or you want to try out absolutely new field. Just design a small experiment or not a small experiment. For example, transition from IC to manager for me took seven months. It was a very big experiment, but it worked that. And as a company, what I think we can do is like to provide tools for these experiments to learn, to validate, to be supportive, right? To support any sort of intention from an individual to, to grow and to create this environment. And it's getting more difficult, of course, with this situation on the market, very competitive environment. Everybody needs to work hard and be, the environment is getting more intense. And Ooh. I think like what I would like to see more from companies and from like leaders is how we, how we, how we are empathetic towards our people, how we are actually doing things, not just telling that we are kind of worried about well-being, like what exactly we are doing for that and providing more flexibility, maybe even it is a good thing to do these days or provide more space for some, some sort of personal projects as well, because it can stimulate some additional energy and people. This is why, for example, we are doing podcast with Oscar, with my colleague. Because like, it's, it's cool. It's just a side project and it's just cool to do it and to grow as well, to grow your network, to grow your connections, grow, grow personally and professionally. This is our tagline, by the way. Yeah. So you're using it as one of the ways that you're growing professionally and personally. I think having that space is super critical, especially for the team. It, it kind of boosts creativity a little bit, right? You have that space. You're not so entrenched in the problem that you're working on at the given time. How do you kind of balance that time versus like execution or delivery? Is that something that is crafted where it's like a dedicated amount of time? Is it kind of informal and flexible? <laughs> to be frank, all of these pet projects are like outside of the execution and like working hours. But I believe like there are like sort of like companies and there is that direction that more and more companies try to dedicate some sort of amount or space for personal side yeah. project activities. I heard about that from many folks. I think it's fair and it's like you see, like, you know, the efficiency or productivity is not about the time or hours you spend on solving such a problem. It's more about your ability to solve the problem in shorter amount of time. And, you know, if people are discharged or like very low energy, they will be solving the problem for like 20 dozens hours. But if they are energized, just spending a little bit of time on their personal stuff or like cool stuff, then they will solve these problems they, way faster. And you see, like, it's, it's not about that. And I don't have the statistics in hand, so I'm curious to research if there are some researchers that confirm that 
you know, ratio if people spend not 100% time on work-related activities and KPIs and some sort of time on fun and cool stuff if their productivity increases, because I think the productivity and efficiency will be a very big question this year and maybe next year's. But I think we shouldn't, as like as the industry, lose that fun part of, of our job and work just to... And just to deliver, just to execute, just to be so serious, we need to balance it very well. And yeah, that is my ask for, for companies to do it more. Oh, I love that. And even I, I still think there's something to it, do it on, on the clock too. I think you do risk productivity, I think, but I think it's more about the trust, right? Like if you hire really good, smart people, capable, you trust them to do good work, task them with projects, and then you give them the space to do the work. And I think by giving them the space, you trust them to do these things in conjunction because they're really creative, smart people. Absolutely. So that kind of, you know, itches their brain a little bit too. So I think when companies are in a pinch, right, when now folks are focused on profitability or, you know, you scaled your growth a lot and uh, in terms of hiring and now you have to evaluate performance, it just becomes a different environment. A lot of the companies, I think, the trend is going to be, you know, instead of hiring at all costs, you're kind of like hiring when it's needed, like when it's yeah. really like painful or something like that, you can't actually do all the things or you may be doing multiple roles as a leader and you need somebody there instead of just hiring for like random projects or product market fit expansion and things. I think that sets us up for failure in the long term because then we get into these pinches where we just have to kind of assess in a different lens than we might not have based on the employees that we have. So I'm always curious about that. I think in terms of growth, what are kind of like some of the tools and techniques you're using with your team? The free mm -hmm. time is one or this kind of dedicated project time or something. What other things are you using? There are many things and I have like just listening to you, I just realized that in this environment where we are right now, these human relations and like overall the relationships that you have in your team and your company will be very important topic and we should mm. pay a lot of attention to that. If there is no trust in the team, rebuild the trust. If there is no culture, rebuild the culture because otherwise it will not be sufficient longer term. And as for rituals, I think they can also support some sort of dynamics. So what I like in growth and in our design team, for example, what we do is this sort of also playful ritual that we have. It's called growth quiz or experiment quiz. What we do is like whenever we launch something and it's shipped and like then we have learnings, we reflect on that. We just sit down and there is this quiz where we try to assume which variation was the winner and why. And this is so playful. It's like super interactive. It's like a game. And you know, sometimes we discuss very tough topics like, oh my God, why we like dropped ARR in that variation, what happened. And then it turns to be very like, you know, investigation and like very curious type of game. Mm. But it's still a serious, like you're trying to investigate a serious problem through the lens of sort of playfulness. And it creates this very interesting dynamic in the room where you really need to think very deep. Like it's not like cool and fun. You need to think seriously about this stuff. But then because of that environmental, that setup, that it's a game, it's a quiz. There are no right or wrong answers. We just assume what happened and what we can do next. It opens up this creativity, right? So it's not like nobody will judge you if you will say like a wrong answer and then sure. from that ritual yeah we extract some hypothesis some ideas what we can do to iterate on that 
and we just iterate. And then what we realized, we started doing that in our design team. Actually, Oscar introduced that. Hey, Oscar. And <laughs> then they started doing that in other forums. So like with your cross-functional team, with engineers, with developers who are like are just executing, right? So they are doing like the work on the background that end user will not see, but then they think what happened and they try to understand what exactly caused that result or like the failure of the experiment. And it opens up some curiosity and also ownership for them. So they do care about that outcome. And I think these days in our like environment and tough situation on the market, we really need to care what is what we are doing, what we are delivering. Is it high quality? Is it not high quality? And every person in the team should feel that ownership. Sometimes, you know, on the rush and we are, when we are sitting too comfortably, we just forget about that. But mm. now we need to get back to that. But from the other side, not to get too serious towards ourselves about Otherwise, we would be very, like, not in a good position. So maybe just to combine this, to create useful rituals through some human, you know, behavioral practices to connect with people, to discuss serious problems. I love that quiz. It's such a good idea. All right. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> yeah, we no, need to create great. the template, yeah. the template yeah, for that and just, just share it with everybody. I think, yeah, it will be our home, homework with Oscar to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good idea. Well, I'm going to shift topics just a little bit because there's so many things that I want to ask you. What are some of the challenges of being a growth design leader? Oh, so many. <laughs> design leadership or any sort of leadership has many challenges. But you asked about the growth design yeah. leadership in particular. So I think first challenge that I faced when I just started doing that is hiring. Hiring is very difficult finding people with the expertise who are good product designers and growth specialists, it's very tough. And the talent for that is like, you said it's very new field. I, would, I wouldn't say it's very new, it's very fresh. It started maybe with the, when product-led growth emerged, it was in 2016, something like that. But you see like, we need to wait for maybe a, a decade to see people to see like many talent for, for this yeah. field. And it was very tough to find people. But then I realized like you either find like people with potential, either you find like specialists, either you find generalists and people with potential is like great, great way to hire someone. So just finding someone who is very good product designer with some experience in growth, and then you just coach them in the team mm. and they become amazing top talent people. So hiring was tough. Second yeah. thing is like overall, as a designer, as a product designer, you have some sort of quality oriented background and mindset that mm. really wants to see the high quality on production all the time. And you've all this, you need to sacrifice something and you need to find this balance between like moving fast, delivering high quality. And when you are a leader, you just need to do that at scale of your team and maybe coach others to find this metronome or like something in your mind that is creating that balance constantly. And that is very difficult to scale because you need to be very careful and you don't want to sacrifice quality. And sometimes you need to move fast and you need to 
build strong relationships with stakeholders to do some trade-offs. So I think the third then the challenge will be the stakeholder management because in growth, mm. you have so many stakeholders you collaborate with because you're touching every single aspect of the product, you collaborate with probably everyone uh, in the company, like core product enterprise and different roles. And you need to build stronger relationships with them to collaborate efficiently. So I think stakeholder management is the first challenge. Overall, when I look at that, it's like pretty natural set of challenges for any leader, but for growth and design, it's just a bit different environment, especially in terms of balancing the speed and the quality of the tools. Tell me a little bit more about the team structure at Miro. How does mm -hmm. growth design fit into the product org? We have overall at Miro, we have several streams in the company and we have the structure that we call AMED, AMT. It's like analytics, marketing, product, engineering, design for cross-functional teams. So for these cross-functional groups, we have five of them. If I'm not mistaken, let's, let's count together. So core product, growth, enterprise, platform, and it was workflows, but now it's a part of course. So now we have four. And then growth stream is a part of these streams in the company. And design-wise, we also structure it the same way. So we have core design, growth design, enterprise design, platform design. And we have design leadership group where, for example, all leaders from all these streams collaborate and discuss different problems, like core, head of core design, head of growth design, head of platform design. Same thing for product leadership. So this is how it's fit into the company or org chart. How does that distinction between core and platform, like what do they focus on types of problems, customers? Core experience is very big group right now because we have a big product. So core experience is focused on foundations. So the whole canvas experience, the layout experience, also dashboard experience, what is happening there. Yeah, many things, design system and everything that comes to the core features as well. Platform is more focused on enabling developers, external developers to create the applications for, for us, as well as internally, we create some important integrations for big customers. So they are focused on API, like the tools for developers and how we fit it into the core experience. So they also collaborate a lot with core. Yeah. And growth is focused on experiments across the funnel. So we have substreams like product-led acquisition, activation, mm. retention, monetization, community-led growth, and we are experimenting across the whole funnel. It means that we can work on every single part of the product. Sometimes we need to go to core team to find the best way to do some, some sort of experiment on the core layout, and it's very difficult sometimes. Yeah, or sometimes we have areas of the product that we own end-to-end. -end. So, for example, the whole purchase experience, self-serve monetization, we call it like from the upgrade, purchase, billing flow, pricing, these sort of experiences we own. And we also own the Mirrorverse, which is community-led growth platform that we actually created in growth team. And this is why we own it. And I'm pretty happy to own it. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing product. More community, right? But a little bit about. That's awesome. Super helpful. I love the orientation because I can kind of place different elements of, of Miro and, and how they operate. So that, that's super helpful. 
I'm going to shift topics again to more tactical stuff. So user onboarding, I know this is something that you, is one of the items that we talked about crafting that onboarding experience. We are thinking of other ways to do that now. And for reference, we're an ad tech product. What we do is a little bit of intermediaries where we're in between two distributors. But at the core sense of our two-sided marketplace, we're kind of connecting advertisers and publishers together mm. to create ads to monetize publisher sites and to show to consumers. So it's kind of like a two-sided marketplace with a C at the end, a B2B to C marketplace. The way that it works today is that there's not self-service access. It's not typically like a product-led model initially. And I'm trying to explore those other ways mm. that we could look into growth, right? And, and along these lines, one of those ways is through this onboarding. How do, how do you onboard users, especially mm. like in the mid-market enterprise mm -hmm. where, you know, the user of the tool might be different than the purchaser. And so I'm curious, do you have experience with that type of onboarding? And if you have, what have you learned? Absolutely. Yeah. This is very interesting because at Mirror, we have this both self-serve model and high-touch motion. And usually our goal as a growth stream is also to build this bridge from self-serve to high-touch. So like people who start with the free plan, for example, they will convert to paid and then they convert to enterprise license. So we are trying to find these bridges. And I think in terms of onboarding experience, it's very, very important to know who is like starting using your product, who is that end user who is like registering, creating this account and start adopting this for some period of time and be very targeted, very, very nitty gritty, de like detailed oriented towards these people, know them very well. So I think the insight that I recently had also like doing my stuff, doing like different advising on onboarding as well and doing that at Mira is that segmentation is very important thing and knowing your user, especially in early stages of your product, just don't hesitate to ask questions. Of course, there should be some sort of balance. Don't ask 100 questions on onboarding, but sometimes you, if your users are quite like loyal to, to the product already after acquisition, then during activation, you can ask them certain questions that will help you segment them better and then analyze them better and then personalize your experience better. And personalization like showed us all the time positive significant results when we did more personalized experience during onboarding. But you cannot do it if you don't know anything about your user. Yeah. And then when it comes to the purchase, uh, I think in our funnel, it's not happening like immediately if it's self-serve. So it's a bit different process. And till that moment, users and teams already activated. They already have some sort of retention uh, to the account and then they choose to purchase. It's another process that we are trying to do is like how to convert them, how to how to convince them that the, this paid option is better and what we do, how we show the benefits, for example, how we give them something to try before buy. Like it's different from the high touch, of course. If it's like a high enterprise account, of course, we are doing a lot of customer success. A lot mm. of very in-person like sales motion is happening there. Demos, which are personalized, which are like, you know, somebody else is guiding you through the product and it's like personalization it's 
like maximized personalization when somebody else as a person can walk you through the product. This is what we can afford for high touch. And the easiest way to explain it for self-serve is how to make it a little bit similar to this ideal experience of onboarding because ideal experience of onboarding is when somebody is sitting next to you and showing you everything but how we can make it MVP version of that for the self-serve then to make it a bit better there yeah so it's lower cost too so it's worth getting these users that are not as big of a ARPA or something like this ARPU, right? Average revenue per user accounts kind of. So you mentioned user segmentation. Mm -hmm. Now with your experience, what are the most useful questions to ask in this onboarding flow (laughs) to get the right context? Absolutely. I can tell you what we are asking at Mira. You can even check if you want, you know, you can create your own account. (laughs) So uh, we are trying to segment by industry. So understanding what's your profession, also understanding the size of the company, understanding, yeah. So overall understanding your role, your use case, this is what we are trying to do as well. But overall, it's very interconnected to what are the capabilities you have in your product and what you want to like do with the, with this data afterwards, because just asking the question for the sake of asking this question is good. So you need to understand how to use that data. And we use it in two ways. One is to, to target better acquisition. So how, what, what sort of high qualified leads we are trying to convert to registration what we are who we are attracting to the product so this information helps us understand that better and then we also use it for different analysis for retention so for example understanding these are the industries these are the roles these are the sizes of the companies or use cases that have longer term like stable retention and high retention this is what we are trying to use as for personalization, yeah, we are trying to use that data as well, but for product like Mira or any productivity tool, I think it's a bit more difficult to use that for personalization, mm. especially for collaborative tools, because our user in the end is not a user, is a team. <laughs> and then right. personalization for a team is a bit more difficult, but it helps us to understand some things that we, we can do better on the acquisition side with this data and then on the analysis of retention and then for example to target better users who we want to convert who we want to upgrade it also helps what are some of the user onboarding insights or revelations that you had with your journey of working on that that like really unlocked a new efficiency or production of this conversion rate like it was there something that you know you've run all these experiments this one in particular told me the most or had the most success that might transition into our community-led growth but i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this yeah that's a great question i think there is the to do in my list to write an article about that <laughs> or to write something like a guide to to share with everybody because i think there are so many things that can be kind of yeah composed but i think getting back to this topic that we discussed about segmentation and the questions as a designer i had so much bias towards that I had like the perception that if you add additional step if you add additional question it will 
cause some drop on the conversion. It will cause more, you know, friction. We all know about friction. We we cannot add extra friction to the user on the onboarding. But what we learned, it's not like that. So after you have already some sort of brand awareness about your product and you are attracting high qualified leads, they will not struggle answering additional one question, to be honest. Especially, it depends how you connect all of them. So if you present them in a very easy way with a sense of progress, that it's like a very, very quick process, and if you motivate users to do that, then they will not drop. And the drop rate is very low. But I was like surprised when I saw that. I think Elena Verna also wrote a post about that, recently also mentioning me onboarding for that. So I think we we confirmed that it's not the friction for user if we add these particular steps as questions and if they are meaningful. If you also tell user why you're asking this question, maybe it will help us suggest you better templates, for example. Then it can be a good thing. Second thing, actually templates. (laughs) We learned that by providing users with some ready-to-use examples, templates can kind of help them adopt the product way faster. Of course, there are some sort of users or use cases when we need to give them blank canvas and give them freedom. It also depends on their proficiency level. So asking about proficiency is good. And if they are not familiar with the tool, giving them a template or even better, giving them a set of three or five personalized templates is very good idea. What we learn also is that contextual education, you know, this sort of trying to understand when we want to suggest user a certain action based on their behavior in the product. It sounds amazing. It sounds like a dream, but it's never executed well. So you cannot understand when user is doing this action, how to show this tooltip how to make sure you're showing this tooltip in the right way, how make it, to make sure you're not interrupting user. And to be honest, we, we learned that very hard way. So we released so many tooltips that are showing, you know, contextually that users just were overwhelmed during the onboarding. Like they cannot understand why they see this tooltip in this time, you know. Then our tooltips started to overlap and then there were situations when we showed them five times. So so that's why I would suggest to be very mindful about tooltips. <laughs> Don't use them so much. And contextual education is great, but make sure you can execute that well. So for us, for example, now we need to build the whole notifications platform to, to try it again and to execute that well. Because previously we didn't have notifications platform. We couldn't execute that well. So contextual education is interesting. Yeah, so I think these are top three. Let's make it short, as you know, as a free version trial of learnings about onboarding. And I hope I will write a better full article about that to share it. All right. We're teasing the future article here. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me a little bit about Miraverse and that community-led growth. So like, how did that come to be? And tell me about the journey there, because I'm super curious to see, like, it's such a valuable and a really prominent example of how growth is done well, that is publicized very widely. And folks look to you as those examples. So I'm curious to see, like, how did that come about? And what was your learning and path to 
to rolling. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's a journey, I think. And thanks for asking. I'm happy to to kind of live through that again. So I think at some moment when we already had this foundational growth, like typical funnel model, acquisition team, engagement team, and monetization activation as well, we started thinking, what what can we do next? So we understand how to optimize this funnel. We are doing experiments. It's continuous process. You just optimize, optimize, optimize. So where we should innovate, where we should do something else. And we realized like at this moment, Mira already had like a couple of millions of users, I think, and pretty strong customers that are like superpower users that are advocates of Mira. They are very well-known people like Jake Knapp and like, you know, these folks who are creating the best expertise. And we realized, okay, we have the, the, we have their boards. We, we cannot see them, but actually they can share it with the broader audience and they can kind of spread it through the world. And we started thinking like what we can do with that idea, how to, how to connect it to the actual business outcomes, because it sounds cool to create the community for great users and advocates to share their work. But then we started connecting it to several points of growth and we saw the potential for the engagement of users. So people who already use Mira, who already understand a little bit about that, they can use it more deeper with certain, like very niche examples of templates, like design sprint from Jake Knapp. It can be used for people who already have some experience with Mira, but they can use it for this particular use case. And we can scale it because we cannot create ourselves these beautiful templates at that scale. So we had like maybe 100 templates and now in Miraverse, we have more than 1000 templates. So customers should create that for us, not, not us. And then this is about engagement and then also for acquisition. So we were like trying to understand it through this sort of scale, we can attract even more users through more use cases for, through more variety of use cases. And this is another leverage that we saw. So acquisition plus engagement was our first two bets that we were validating. And with Miraverse, we we understood that we need to create this as a new thing, as a new platform. It's zero to one. But at the same time, when I'm telling that, we didn't know answers. We didn't know if it will work or not. Should we invest into that? Or it will be like, you know, just five creators will publish something and we are done. <laughs> and we needed to test that. So we could probably do some sort of customer research and validate, you know, build these funnels, risks, mitigations, but we decided to build the products. <laughs> we decided to build the product first and then validate on, on that product what will be happening. But what we needed to do is to build that product fast. So we had our... Actually, what we did, we sat in a room for a week with all relevant people and just every day we were designing that, creating that, chatting about that, creating user story map and like slicing it into release versions. And we realized we have two versions, one that can be great when we, for example, also introduce the process to submit the template to make it very smooth and things like that. And then developers estimated that for like seven months or something. We were not happy. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. 
And then we had a second version where we cut this thing completely. So we don't have this submission process. We have just type form, you know, this pure MVP, but yeah. we have the platform itself. And it took us two months. So we realized, yeah, this is what we want to do. So That's we awesome. did that. And we, in two months, we just manually collected all of these templates, creators, and we had something like 70 templates from 50 creators. And from that, we started observing what is happening next. And wow. like over one year, we realized like it just became a love mark. So everybody's mentioning that. And then we scaled like this amount of creators and templates like to thousands. So right now we are at this point where we are thinking, okay, what is next? So it's already, I think, two years when we have Mirrorverse and we are thinking what is next. So we are actually like it happening on the background as we speak. Any kind of teasing you can do there yeah. in terms of where your head's at? Overall, we realized like there is this great audience, which is like professional service providers. And we really want to scale on top of them for the Mirrorverse as well to provide mm -hmm. even better experience for them to distribute, to, to treat it as a platform, as a space where they want to publish their work, where they want to share it, where they want to distribute that. This is where we are. It's one of the things where we are, but let's see what we will have on production in the next, hopefully, months. It will be like step-by-step exactly. step because exactly when you, when you ship first version, it can be like in two months, but when it's like zero to one, but from one to two, it takes longer because mm. you really need to think what it can be and do baby steps movements. Well, if you need any guinea pigs, you let me know. Come and help you. <laughs> awesome. Now, you mentioned a lot of experimentation. You mentioned segmentation, measurement, drop-off rates. Like, there's got to be tools, right? Tools that you use to measure and experiment with. So whether they're custom built or what have you, but is there anything that you can share? It's like, what is the toolkit there? What is your preference? Like, what are those things that you use to make these decisions, mm -hmm. get the right data, experiment the right way? Yeah. What do you got? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think <laughs> I can tell you what teams are using, but I'm not sure if it's like super up to date because sure. I'm not using like data hands-on for some period of time mm -hmm. already. I wish I, I could do that, but with the complexity of data, uh, Mira these days, it's getting a bit more difficult. So I think we have Looker for like overall tracking data and everything. It's like a very complex environment already, but I know that product managers, for example, they very like snowflakes. So mm. it's very user-friendly from what I know to extract more like visible dashboards and more like legible dashboards. So they use that. Yeah. And then we have our like in not like we, we use split IO for the experimentation, but we are also trying to customize and like trying to build something that works for us for experimentation. But I think we don't have like this establishment at scale that maybe, for example, Facebook or other companies have that are doing experiments like every day. And yeah, so we are doing like we are experimenting with tools this is why i said like i'm not sure yeah. if this is the set of tools we are using this day because every every time somebody is introducing a new one but actually with the tools i think i just, I just realized that it's interesting thing especially this year to discuss because i, I observed that companies become more and more conservative about tools and whatever we, yeah. we have right now we just keep using that 
or optimize for the licenses, their efficiency, how many licenses we need. And this is why probably we will also be more wise and like revisit our tool set to optimize for OS tools, but more, you know, optimal and useful tools. I know those can get out of hand too, if you're not paying attention to it, but that's great. Well, let's wrap it up with some homework. I feel like I could ask you so many other questions that I didn't get the chance to, but maybe we'll ask you one more at the end. But for now, if we were to give something tangible that some of our listeners can put into action based on our conversation, is there anything, any project, any kind of week long thing that they can focus on to put into practice? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think I need to revisit all the topics that we were talking about when it comes to to the growth field in general. The best way to learn is to learn by doing. Uh, I will probably not give you like 10 books if you need to read to become like a growth specialist or anything like that. I think it's good to follow certain people or like maybe go to some courses as well. So I personally... I'm a, like also advocate and a fan of Reforge. I think they are doing a great job to provide you with some useful information because growth is pretty tough topic. And yeah, you need to be very careful with ter- in terms of what, what sort of knowledge you are consuming. Yeah, so Reforge courses are very handy. I think also following folks like Elena Werner on LinkedIn helps a lot. You just extract some useful useful information in posts, not necessarily reading a book. Also like following other podcasters like Lenny's podcast, very useful for growth folks. Yeah. So, and girls mates, of course, we are trying to kind of invite also people from design. We have more people from design network, but also product. And in the future, we want to invite other folks like UXRs and entrepreneurs and from other industries to discuss topic of growth, personal, professional, company growth. That was also a reminder for me to write this article about onboarding. So now I need to do that and share it and hopefully it will be useful. Yes, one of all of those, especially the podcast. It's amazing. One of the things that we can take away from this is if you don't have some sort of onboarding, you know, segmentation form or chatbot or something to get this information from your user as they begin to use it, it drives a lot of decisions in the long term as well. So I think that's something pretty easy. You can spin those things up. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? I think you just illustrated the example of when to strive for perfection and when not to when it came to the Miroverse. You just did it. You just built the thing, right? It's like, yeah, you could overanalyze, you could do the segment, you you could do X, Y, and Z, but really there's, you know, this desire, this need, this intuition, and you're leaning on that. And if it didn't pan out, it didn't pan out. But at least you started to do it and look where it netted out. Like overall, I mean, that's amazing. The amount of growth that that and the impact that that's had for the company. Thanks for sharing that. And of course, like, took us a lot of time to understand how to do that, how to get to some that significant result for onboarding. And it took like years to hundreds of products, I think. So, and sometimes I feel like these days, like companies, they don't have that luxury anymore. They just need to move forward. They just need to survive. You know, growth is optional. Survival is like the must have. And with that, actually, I, like with that in mind, with ex colleague from me, where we started doing that thing that we help other small companies and other companies to create the onboarding experience or like to find how to survive or grow. 
through the onboarding. And yeah, that really helps to unpack some knowledge that was like, you know, hidden somewhere and also help others because I think like these days it's important in the industry to to support like small businesses as well and just happy to do that. That's awesome. Is that a service y'all provide? Side hustle? So yeah. 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 Cool. So if oh, if, if if there is like an interest we can chat about that. Yeah, I'm doing yeah. that as in like advising sort of activity. It's very fun. It's very yeah. useful. It's like very good for again getting back to this idea of like diverse knowledge and yeah. keeps cool. your brain working. <laughs> I love it. So appreciate you for doing that and being so willing to share all of your knowledge. I think the whole community, our, I know our listeners will love hearing Kate's knowledge on everything here. It's amazing stuff. Well, thank you so much, Kate. Where can our listeners find you? Sure. Oh, there is a bunch of places. So I think LinkedIn is the most useful <laughs> where I sometimes share useful links or like podcasts and things like that. So please find me on LinkedIn. And that's it for now. Let's see where I will be also presented in the future. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll go find her. We'll throw a LinkedIn link in our show notes and tell her product coffee sent you. Great, Kate. Well, I, I so appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, it was a pleasure. It looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.